welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Palmwood Podcast. Today, we begin a brand new series entitled True Worship. It's an important one because there's actually a lot of confusion around the topic of worship in today's church. What exactly is worship? If I were to ask you how you define worship, what would you say? In this episode, we'll see that worship is essentially comprised of three things. Reverence, adoration, and glory. And the more we understand and practice these three things in our daily lives, the closer we get to how God defines worship. I am uh, personally uh, excited, and I've got to admit, quite convicted by this series that we're going into. Um, This week, uh, I have wrestled personally with some of the things that I know to be true from the scriptures on the topic of worship, because I am one, uh, like probably some of you and and others that you know, that kind of goes on Sunday morning, we go into automatic pilot. And so when you have a a Sunday morning like this where things don't quite go well, that actually might be a good thing because it shakes you (laughs) out of your routine and makes you stop to realize why we're here. Um, My mentor years ago taught me that in most North American churches, um, Sunday morning is the big event. Sunday morning is the thing that kind of takes all the energy to, to perform and, and to, uh, to do. It's, it'd be our routine with our, our Sunday school activities and the worship service and all those things. And he said, actually, that's exactly backwards. He said, all of the activity of the week should flow toward Sunday. And Sunday should be the grand celebration and praise to God for what you have done with him throughout the week. And I just want to place that before you as we start today because I really do believe that everything flows towards Sunday. Um, We are not a church that wants to focus mostly on this Sunday morning gathering. This is important. I'm not minimizing it at all. But I want you to understand, and those of you who've been walking with us from the beginning of, of the church plant know, we really are about Monday through Saturday. That really is the primary focus of this particular congregation. And I think our understanding of worship ultimately might be the thing that drives that. And that's why I think this this series is going to be so vital for us. Let me just say from the beginning that um, worship is not about music. Worship is not about preaching. And if there's pastors watching on the feed later on, I know that you just your heart just jumped a beat, but it really is not about the preaching. Worship is, is um, really not even about us gathering. You see, so many of those things make worship about us and what we want, what we're looking for, what we desire. 
Worship is the one aspect of the Christian life that is to be 100%, 24-7, focused on the audience of one. Worship is all about what God wants. It's not about what we want. And I think that when you, you look at other congregations, and, and those of you that know my denominational role, some of the conflict stuff that I have to work with in churches, it always comes down to human agendas getting in the way. It's always a human agenda that gets in the way. We need to stop and make this about God. And so I just want to, as, as we start with our introduction, I, I want to start by saying that um, worship is about experiencing who God is and responding to it. Worship always begins with a right understanding of who God is. It doesn't start with whether we like contemporary or traditional. It doesn't start with whether we like the NIV or the King James. I mean, all those are, are dialogues that we can have that can certainly enhance our worship experience, but they are not the worship. The worship is what our heart is doing in its connection, its relationship with the Almighty. The more we come to know God and His attributes, the more we will be compelled to bow our hearts and our lives before Him in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, if there's one thing I have learned over the week of preparing this message, it is that I am not adequate to preach it. <laughs> and uh, so, Lord, I just pray. The prayer of Isaiah, here I am, use me, send me. Um, I will be your vessel. I surrender to you and ask, Lord, that my words will not be my words, my words will be your words. That as we, we look at these various texts today, we will get the broad picture of what worship really is, and that will become a foundation for what you want to teach us over the coming weeks. Come, Father, by your Spirit. You be our teacher. You be our guide. Forgive us and cleanse us, prepare us, whatever obstacles we came in here with, whatever's on our mind, whatever distractions we have, now by your Spirit, wash them away and allow us to enter into your presence as you teach us from your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Worship is a whole person thing. Worship is a fully engaged body, soul, and spirit before the Lord. We worship in our thinking. We worship in our emotions. We worship in our words. We worship in our attitudes. We worship in our songs. We worship in our actions. It is not just a Sunday morning activity. Worship is something that you and I are designed and redeemed to do every day, all day, all the time. And today I want to lay a foundation for this series. As we walk on this worship journey together over the next several weeks, I want us all to have the same basic definition of what worship is. And so today we're going to talk about three primary aspects of worship, and they engage 
body, soul, and spirit. That's, that's basically where we're going today. The first aspect is that to worship is to revere God. This, uh, as you're thinking this through and we begin to unpack this together, think in terms of worship being awe. That as we come to know God, as we come into the presence of God, we are overcome with awe about God. This idea of reverence really truly begins with the mind. Reverence is a deep and abiding respect. One dictionary actually defines it this way. It calls it a recognition of the value of God. And this makes perfect sense because if you go back to the roots of our English word worship, in the Old English, the word is actually worth-ship. It's about the value of God. It's about his, his worth, recognizing his worthiness, his utter worthiness, and that it's to be revered. Um, now, I recognize that many of you who are with us every single Sunday probably took a look at today's outline and how long it is, and you panic. This is not going to be a four-hour sermon, I promise you. Um, but I do want to take you to several different Scripture passages to help you understand the, the pieces of the puzzle. And so today we're going to start in the book of Job, chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Job's companions, those that, you, those that know the story of Job, Job had some companions that didn't give him really very good uh, advice. But this one companion, Bildad, he actually starts out well in what he says. In Job 25, verses 1 and 2, as Bildad the, the Shuhite comes and replies to Job about his horrible condition, he says these words, Dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Dominion being kingship, rulership, and awe belong to God. Understanding God's kingdom is absolutely critical. It's key to worshiping him well. And for those of you that have been with us for a while, I would just remind you back to the series we did a while back, a while back on the kingdom of God, where we defined that the word kingdom in English actually has taken on a meaning that was not originally intended in the biblical languages. When you see the word kingdom in the New Testament in particular, but also in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, the word kingdom is not really about the realm of God. It's about the reign of God. And so the, the word that we define in English as kingdom is usually the rule and reign or kingship of the Lord. So, you know, we see the word kingdom and we think of a landmass like the United Kingdom. It, that's, that's a secondary definition, but really, nine times out of ten, when you see the word in the Bible, it's talking about the dominion, not the domain of God. You follow? And so, recognizing God's complete rule and reign is absolutely critical to worshiping Him well. Um, understand that worship is the ultimate act of surrender to our king. That's why the, the images of worship that we see in the Bible and in other places are to bow down, to lie prostrate. All of those images are letting someone else be magnified. Second of all, we recognize that God knows every thought, word, and deed. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. 
If you look here to the wisdom of Solomon, he says, I'm just going to read the first few verses here. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near and listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty with your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on the earth, so let your words be few. In other words, be really careful. When you go into God's presence, be really, and then it goes on to talk about oaths, actually, and vows that you, that you would make before God. Here's the point. God knows every thought. God knows every word. God knows every deed. When we consistently stop to remember that God is a holy witness to everything we think, everything we say, every action we take, we regain a healthy fear of him. So when we are doing something we know we should not be doing, am I the only one that ever does that? God is our holy witness in that moment. And it should cause a healthy fear in our hearts. Next, we recognize that God is real and dwells with us. You know, Psalm 14, verse 1 is the place where we learn that fools say there is no God. It is only people who are foolish that reject belief in God. Habakkuk 2.20 tells us that God is real and dwells with us. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You see that throughout the old covenant era, people saw the physical presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God. They saw the pillar of fire at night. They saw the, the, what they called the terrible cloud during the day as he led them through the desert. And then later as they landed and they had the temple, the, all of the, the, the community of Israel was, was uh, arranged around the outside of the tabernacle and then the temple so that when they opened the doors of their tents or opened the doors of their homes, the first thing they saw was the presence of God, that, that holy Shekinah glory that was always there in their midst. You see, in the New Covenant era, we learn that Jesus, our Jesus, is our Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Anybody know? God with us. And so now, when we stop long enough to realize that the holy and glorious God of the Old Testament now dwells with us and in us by His Holy Spirit, it should change us. That the the very Shekinah glory of God. Think of it this way. There is nowhere you can go. This is like Psalm 139 language. There is nowhere that you can go where you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not take the pillar of fire with you wherever you go. I love the image of Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit falls, what is the imagery? Does anybody know what the imagery is in Acts chapter 2 when the church is born as the Holy Spirit falls on the church? What is the imagery? A pillar of fire that comes down and divides out and does what? Rests on every single believer. There's no mistaking what that means. The Shekinah glory of God, the same fire that they followed in the desert now comes down from heaven there are the steps of the temple, divides out, and is now in the temple of the Holy Spirit, is now dwelling on every single one of us. It should drive us to worship. 
we recognize that God is the all-consuming fire. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29 refers us back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. You know, God may be our Abba. That word Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. Uh, Jesus calls God Abba. And then later on, the Apostle Paul tells us we should call God Abba because we are in Christ. So we get to call God Daddy. That, that imagery has a beautiful thing for us, a, a beautiful meaning for us. And he may be with us everywhere that we go. He may also be the incredible extender of grace and mercy to every single one of us. Praise Jesus, that is true. But we must never, ever forget that he is still the same God that was called the Ancient of Days. He is still the same God that Daniel saw in his vision. He is the consuming fire of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. He is our Father, but he is also our Judge. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. When we understand that our daddy who we run to is also the one who holds us accountable, it should drive us to our faces in worship. In all these things, God tells us through the prophet Malachi that Levi is a great example of this reverence. And so I'll just... I'll challenge you to, to today at home, go to Malachi 2, verses 1 through 6, read it for yourself, and just kind of run through these next several points and see if this isn't true. Because Levi puts this on display. Levi is one of the sons of Jacob. Levi is the, the founder, if you will, of the Levites. And he's also the, <coughs> the great-grandfather of Moses. God tells us through the prophet Malachi that Levi honored his covenant relationship with God. Levi revered God, had a healthy fear of God. Levi stood in awe of God regularly. He provided true instruction to people around him that there was no lie or deceit in his mouth. He intentionally walked with God in peace and righteousness. And in doing all these things, God was able to use him to turn many people from sin. That is a life of reverence. The second thing we see about worship is that worship is not only awe and reverence, worship also is adoration. Worship is an expression of love. Whereas the awe and fear aspect is of the mind, the love aspect is of the heart. This is our expression of love back to God. We are to love God with everything that we are. We're told that by Moses in Deuteronomy 6.4 as part of the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then when Jesus is challenged in Matthew 22 about what the most important commandment is, he actually quotes the Shema to answer the question. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And in that, he summarizes the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. And then he goes on. To quote from Leviticus 19, he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is a summary of the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments. In other words, they're all important. None is one above the other. We're familiar with this statement, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because it's part of our mission statement as a church. Palmwood Church exists to love God extravagantly, to love people with humility, and to mentor others to do the same. The love God and love people are the first and second commandment there out of the greatest commandment, Matthew 22. The mentoring people to do the same actually is the great commission. You see, we could use the word disciple, but the world around us doesn't know what that word means anymore. 
but they know what the word mentor means. And so what we're talking about is entering into very intentional relationships in making disciples, in mentoring them to do the same thing. We are to love God with all of our heart, with our, every fiber of our being, and with our inner person, our thinking, our thought life, our spirit, our body, our work, our planning, with everything. And that leads us then to the next thing, because as we love God with everything we are, we will automatically then love God with full humility, because the more you lift God up, the more you will bow before him. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7 tells us to worship and bow down. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. The psalmist calls us to bow before our Maker. We are to decrease. He is to increase, in the words of John the Baptist. Our entire posture before God is to be one of humility. And as we are humble before God, we will then also be humble before one another. We are also to love God with abundant praise. The very last psalm of the Bible, Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6, is all about praise. It talks about various musical instruments, but even though many instruments are mentioned, it is talking about a pervasive attitude of praise for the Lord. All of creation... All that has breath is called to praise the Lord. And so worship really is about praise and adoration. It is an expression of love to God. And what we see is that David gives us an example of this adoration. I don't know how many of his psalms you have read, but most of the psalms in some way are expressions of love and praise back to God. If you, in your own time, will take a look at 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 through 14, you'll see this example in King David. He made his adoration public. He sang of God's eternality. He sang of God's greatness and power. He sang of God's glory, majesty, and splendor. He sang of God's complete ownership of everything and his dominion, his kingship over all. He sang of God's wealth, and they clearly knew how God provided for them. He repeated these attributes again, and then he goes on and he leads the people then in thanksgiving. He, as their beloved king, displays full humility before God, and he proclaimed God as their source. David is a great illustration of loving God this way. Isn't it interesting that of all the people in the Old Testament, there's one thing God says about David, he says about nobody else. This is a man after my own heart. Adoration is a matter of the heart. Thirdly, we worship to glorify. Glorification, magnification of God. Glorification of God begins with the mouth, but it's also expressed in the body. It is our posture before God. It is to be our posture all the time, all day long, every single day. We glorify God by telling of his omnipotence. First Chronicles chapter 16 
First Chronicles 16, 28 and 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. They're talking there about the incredible and overwhelming power of God. Our God is all-powerful. We magnify him because there is none greater than our God. We glorify our God by declaring his omnipresence. There's another $10 theological word. It means that God is everywhere present at the same time. As Isaiah begins his ministry, Isaiah chapter 6, in the prophecy of Isaiah, we hear about God in his glory completely filling the temple. And as as Isaiah begins to express this, we see that it goes throughout all the land. Our God is everywhere present at the same time. We magnify him because he is in all places at all times. He is the inescapable God. Psalm 139 language again. There is nowhere that you can flee from his presence. There is nowhere that you can go and God is not there. I love that as the psalmist proclaims this, one of the things they say, I could go to the utter darkness. People think of darkness being the opposite of God. And and it says, even the darkness is as light to you. There is no place we can go where God is not there. We glorify God by proclaiming his omniscience. Our God is all-knowing. He is the architect and designer of all things. He creates all things. He animates all things. He sees all things. He hears all things. He understands all things. There is nothing that our God does not know. There is nothing that our God does not understand. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 5. We glorify God by describing his holiness. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. We've talked about this word holy before. It's one of the most misunderstood words in the church today. People think that holiness means that we're free of sin. Being sin-free is the result of holiness. It's not the definition of holiness. The definition of holiness is being set apart for God's purposes. The definition of holiness is being special in a good way, being um, reserved for something. And in the ultimate expression of holiness, our God is different. Our God is separate. Our God is set apart. And we are made in his image. Therefore, as redeemed people, we also are special. We also are set apart. We also are reserved for his purposes. He is perfect. And he calls all creation, including us, back to that perfection. The scripture tells us that we must be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. We glorify God. By knowing our place. Psalm 99, verse 5. This psalmist tells us that we are to worship God at his footstool. Amen. (laughs) Even Siri agrees with this point of the message. (laughs) 
the psalmist tells us we're to worship at his footstool. Now, the meaning of this, this idea of footstool is often lost on us in the 21st century. Um, how many of you actually have a footstool in your home? A lot of people don't even have them today. But the idea of a footstool actually is where a, a king would put his feet. That's really what, what we're talking about here. Um, it is not only an expression of total humility that we would be worshiping at the footstool of our God, but it is interestingly also a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was called the footstool of God. It was where God's presence... Remember us talking about the Shekinah glory of God? Well, that Shekinah glory came down out of the heavens before all the people, but what did it rest on? It rested on the Ark of the Covenant. And so, so this idea of entering into the Holy of Holies to worship at his footstool is to worship at the Ark of the Covenant. This was his resting place. You can look at 1 Chronicles 28.2. You can look at Psalm 132.7 and 8. You can look at Isaiah 60, verse 13. There's lots of different places where we see the connection with the Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was the place of judgment, but it was also the place of mercy. See? God is our beautiful, wonderful, loving Heavenly Father. God is also our judge. The two things are not mutually exclusive. And our place is at his footstool. Our place is to be at the the place of mercy and judgment ever before him, glorifying him. We glorify him in humility, yes, but he is also the one who judges us with great mercy. And then Revelation 5, verse 13, we glorify God with all creation. The image being that everything in all creation turns and in unison gives worship and praise to our God. Once again, David gives us an example of this glorification in Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3, um, our scripture reading from today. He extols the Lord at all times. To extol is to praise enthusiastically, which makes sense with the next stanza. He continuously praises the Lord. It's a lifestyle. Let's just stop for a moment as we think about this. As you look at Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3 in your own time, and you begin to measure yourself against that, how many of us in this room today have a lifestyle of praise before God? How many of us have a lifestyle of praise? He boasts in God from the depths of his being. He proclaims God to those in need. He invites others to give glory to God. He calls everyone to exalt God with him. He gives testimony of God's deliverance. Here's the point. As we begin this journey of worship, when we say the word worship, I want us all to think the same thing on this journey. To worship is to revere. Awe. Give your mind to the Lord. To worship is to adore. Love. Give your heart to the Lord. To worship is to glorify. Your mouth and your body, give your whole life to the Lord. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see ways that we can learn to do this better and more consistently. This morning, I just leave you with this question. As you think about it, how is your worship? Let's pray. Father, I can't speak for everyone, but I speak for myself this morning, and I ask, I want more of this. 
I want more understanding, yes, but I want more practice, Lord. I want more application. I want to experience you, Jesus. And I hope that's the prayer of my brothers and sisters here. I want to go from a place where where worship succumbs to the routine to where worship is every breath that I breathe. I want to go, Father, from worship being three points in a message to worship being every thought that I think. Father, I want to go from, from worship being some kind of a structure to worship being my lifestyle. Father, it's my prayer that as the people of Palmwood Church and others who know me see me that will come to a place where whenever they run into me, they see worship on display. And that's a scary prayer, Jesus, because there's a lot in the way. But I would pray in the journey ahead, Father, you would draw me closer. And I hope that these would also be the requests of your people here at Palmer Church. That we would journey this together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.